0: The Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode
1: number six, recorded on January 15th, 2019. The title The Cloud Pod now Supports Resource Tagging. Alright, welcome guys. What is everyone drinking tonight?
2: Ooh, I've got a Bear Republic Racer 5 that I found in my fridge and I'm enjoying it immensely.
1: Very nice. I am enjoying an 805 this evening.
2: Same here. What a what a coincidence! You know, 805 to me is much more of a lunch beer. I'm surprised, but I do love them.
1: Uh, it is the beer that is free in the tap. Now oh, That <laughs> <laughs> makes so much
2: more sense. Yeah, like, yeah,
1: I don't. I don't know what Jonathan's excuse is because he's not. He's not with me today. So. <laughs> All right, getting into the show, guys. We have some follow up today. Uh, Let's start out with uh, Godzilla. So, uh, last week we talked about their uh, terrible S3 exposure vulnerability. And we talked a little bit about how they uh, seem to be kind of dead. Uh, There's no Twitter activity, there's nothing on their website about this hack. Um, So, it was nice to see that Amazon apparently did the right thing and deactivated those keys. And so now you cannot go browse uh, the videos at your leisure. So that's great. Um, You know, I don't really know much more beyond that, but uh, glad to see Amazon took some action on this one and really got that square away for those customers who are unfortunately having their data exposed.
2: I wonder how many customers there are. I I always use LinkedIn now as like my new guide to everything about the size and complexity of companies. And Godzilla has four employees who are uh, listed as employees there. So my guess it's a pretty small company.
0: One of the biggest markets was the like pet monitoring, you know, it's like talk to your dog kind of thing while you while you're not home. So maybe they didn't get many complaints because the dogs couldn't call support. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did when I, when I was on Twitter. I did see people complaining that their device wasn't working anymore and that their the money they paid isn't working and they can't access their video. So clearly Amazon uh, did the right thing here, but the, their support is not in the best shape. But you know. Unfortunately, I, another interesting article came out this week about Ring, which is actually an Amazon-based company, where apparently to uh, help train their machine learning algorithms, they uh, were using some people to actually scan people's videos and and mark them as appropriate uh, which is a pretty big violation of privacy. So that's uh, unfortunately somewhat related, but came up in the last week as well. What do you think about that?
0: Hmm. Still some question about whether this happened before or after the Amazon acquisition of Ring. I'm sure it uh, probably crossed that boundary slightly, and I'd like to think that Amazon cleaned it up, but they have not announced either way. Yeah, I have a Ring uh, doorbell. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything that I would be worried about. But the
2: minute this came out, I just started thinking about, oh my god, what if you had ring security cameras throughout your house? It makes you think twice about stuff like that.
1: Uh, I mean, it definitely makes you start wondering about privacy in the, this country and what we need to start doing legislatively to fix these problems. Because you know, as much as we trust these telecom companies to do the right thing, it seems like uh, we continue to be proven incorrect on that assessment.
0: Yeah, I was talking to somebody earlier about the telecom, the telecom thing, you know, T-Mobile and Sprint selling people's location data. I just I just can't even believe that that's a thing that's permitted to happen. Yeah. It's always going to come down to trust, and then
2: the question is how do you um how do you enforce that trust and is it is the the market enough, you know, if you're if you're found out enough times to be doing things like this, and nobody buys your product, that's a pretty pretty good reason to put a policy in place that makes sense for your customers, or is it a legislative thing where you need the law to step in and, and decide for us?
1: Yeah, definitely interesting times, but as government's still closed, uh, no new policies.
2: <laughs> That's right. Government <laughs> is closed, I forgot.
1: And then, of course, uh, Amazon did confirm that they did purchase Endure, so all the rumors are true, uh, and they did purchase it, which is great. And that leads us right into new news. So the first one, of course, Amazon announced another acquisition, and that is TSO Logic, which apparently is a startup focusing on cloud spending analysis. They specialize in machine learning and AI algorithms to help determine the costs of your running infrastructure in the private cloud, so you know what that infrastructure will cost you in the public cloud. Um, this is actually similar to an, announcement, or to an acquisition Amazon did In 2017 uh, when they bought Cloudyne. So uh, interesting acquisition. Definitely glad to see Amazon investing in their spend analysis and building support, but uh, definitely Amazon's off to the races with uh, acquisitions in
2: 2019. Yeah. I mean, the the two things that these two companies have in common, uh, so CloudEndure does DR, uh, TSO Logic spend analysis, but they, they both have a focus on helping companies migrate to AWS. And they both charged a pretty penny for their services. And so I just keep thinking, hey, this is, a, this is a great way for Amazon to lower the cost of entry to the Amazon cloud by making these tools that previously were pretty valuable, but expensive. Now, you know, Amazon can control the pricing on those. And maybe it's worth it for Amazon to look at, um, you know, lowering or eliminating pricing on those projects just to accelerate cloud adoption. I think that's currently a huge barrier um, to them growing more is just helping people get over the, the hump of being able to migrate workloads.
0: I wonder if this is as much about reducing costs as it is about letting people know in advance what the costs are likely to be because one of the things I hear often about people who move to AWS is that they they have this expectation that cloud computing is is much less expensive and um, they're often surprised when they get the the first bill or you know the first few the first few bills. They forget about all the extras, they forget about the data transfer uh, you know, snapshot storage, all that kind of thing. And so maybe maybe this is um, a bit of a move to, to better prepare people for what they're, they're going to pay.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I think um, there's some research out right now uh, as of last year, I think, where um, the, the number one reason companies decide they want to move to the cloud is to save money. And uh, then the number one issue after companies move to the cloud is cost optimization. So... <laughs> Pretty cool.
0: It's it's weird right? because there's, there's the whole two budgets thing when it comes to private data centers and uh the the guy who, who controls the the CapEx spend and the, the operational expenses uh, you know approval process there, they're always different. And so when you move all your workloads to Amazon it all becomes operational expenses, it's a bit of a shocker. But you're kinda of forgetting that you don't have to lay out millions of dollars for net apps and things like this incrementally. Right. So, yeah, definitely definitely a bit of edu- pre-education needs to be done for people moving to the cloud.
1: I mean, when you bought this stuff on CapEx, though, and you're able to amortize it over you know three or four years, that really big spend became really small spend that you incrementally hurt uh, you know, over time. So this direct spend model definitely catches some CFOs by surprise. And uh, especially fun when you try to explain to a CFO that I have this great deal for you. If you buy $3.8 million in RIs, I can give you a TCO, uh, you know, ROI on that investment of 18 months and then you'll be saving a ton of money. And the look of horror on many CTO or CFO's faces in many startups at that moment is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And rightly so, because, you know, like, like I mentioned a couple episodes ago, committing to such a large expense up front is, is pretty shocking for a lot of people.
1: It's interesting, too, in this particular acquisition and the one last week, neither one of these were spaces that I felt were big problem areas for Amazon that they had to address. And you wonder how much of this is Amazon building out. Um, their professional services organization or more aqua hire because you know if one of the big primary drivers of their business was helping companies move to the cloud and that's a people problem as well as a technology problem i wonder if this also helps beef up their professional services capabilities
2: as well i'd be curious to see if those well, i mean you'll we'll know when the i guess when it gets uh integrated
0: weaponized just what part of the org they end up in yeah it's definitely gonna be another tool in their sales toolkit
1: For you, the listeners of the CloudPod Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook downloaded with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash the cloudpod. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash the cloud pod for your free audiobook. All right, well, uh, going on to Jonathan's favorite topic, which is of course licensing talk, <laughs> we are gonna talk about Amazon's big announcement from last week, which is around the Document DB, and uh, just to bury the lead, of course this is a competitor to Mongo. This is an attack, somewhat, on the open source world, and so that's all we'll say about it because I know Jonathan would rather us not talk about that part. But let's talk about Document DB and what this is and why it's important. Uh, so uh, Amazon released uh, what they're calling Document DB, which is a plus for naming, um, as Amazon is not the best for naming products sometimes. Uh, this product allows you to basically have a Mongo-compliant API to be able to store your document objects into a database and retrieve them. Um, it is completely the Mongo API. You can take your Mongo workload today, supposedly, and plug it into DocumentDB, and it should, in theory, work as expected. You know, Reading through the Reddits and the internets and those things, it definitely looks like it's built on top of uh, Postgres Aurora, and it definitely maybe has some ties with ToroDB, although that's unconfirmed. Uh, so, really interesting announcement.
2: I want Jonathan to talk on this one.
0: <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> uh, I, uh, and we're that, going to be into the licensing thing, I'm really not not sure what to say about this.
2: <laughs> Without I I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, all of the, all of the, from my perspective, all of the managed services just make life so much easier. So, hold on a sec. You might have that to pause. Pod- yeah, yeah that's my fault. Yeah. Sorry, we're gonna have there to start that over. Um, okay. I thought it
1: was me. I'm like, I'm looking for my uh, phone. I
2: can't. And then, I'm, and then I'm trying to figure out if it's coming out of, um, out of the out of the world or into my ear earphones. And then the mic can't hear it. But then I'm like, no, nope, no, nope, that's that's going right into the mic,
1: <laughs> loud and clear.
2: <laughs> but anyway, um,
1: mark this time on this on the sheet. Must edit this section. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's all good. I think it helps all of us more efficiently use the cloud and keep our bills down so i think it's pretty cool
1: it definitely when uh if you go back to the keynote from reInvent and Warner's uh, keynote when he's talking about all the database products they have and how amazing they are, it was the big glaring hole on the wall <laughs> was that they didn't have the solution. So this one feels like it maybe was a reInvent intended uh, release that missed, uh, and now it's now out in the wild and, and available. But um, I am super excited to start seeing some benchmarks for it. I am curious to see how it performs in comparison to Mongo um, and if it's as awesome as I hope it will be, because running Mongo is a lot of work in a lot of different scenarios, and I would love to make that life simpler.
0: Sure, and the cost associated with with uh, HA, and th- we mentioned that in the previous episode, but uh, they've really they've really gone at this like full force because. Day one, they've got walkthroughs on migrations from MongoDB to Document DB. Um, you know, DMS already supports uh, sucking the data out of Mongo and pushing it into Document DB. So it's it's obviously a lot of thought going into this, and I think you're right. It was probably slated for reinvent and missed for some reason.
1: Moving on to Jonathan's second favorite topic, which is the Jedi contract. <laughs> <laughs> Azure this morning announced that they won the 1.76 billion dollar cloud contract for the DoD, which is not the Jedi contract. Um, but it is a clear sign that Amazon actually may be not out of this race yet for the Jedi contract with the DoD signing on. Um, it allows them to really simplify both their platform operating system platform side as well as their cloud uh, enablement and really be in that Microsoft ecosystem and really simplify their vendor story. So definitely a big win by Microsoft. Congratulations to that sales team over there. They should be enjoying a nice uh, evening of celebration. But uh, definitely making that Jedi conversation much more interesting.
2: Well, I mean, I was just going to say if um, uh, it is any of that contract Azure services, because I was reading the article and it seemed like it was very focused on potentially software and software and and uh, services in general, like consulting services and. Uh, and and code modification services
1: yeah it's unclear exactly what they bought but um, that's why all these things are they're a bit um (laughs) you know opaque but i assume that these are situations where the the dod is outsourcing an entire package and saying please come up with a solution to this which includes the hosting part of it um, it was mentioned that it is not a fixed bid uh, it is actually a contract based on indefinite delivery and dentif- indefinite quantity agreements uh, which to me sounds Great. like cloud uh, that's definitely not something that you would be able to predict in advance to that level of detail required for a government yeah government.
2: that's a good point i wonder also if it's a uh, heading off um uh the complaints of Amazon unfairly winning Jedi if they do, given the fact that Azure just took down two billion on their own,
1: it's very possible. I mean, uh, you actually mentioned in the last Jedi talk, you mentioned that there's some certification that's required uh, for the Jedi contract, which is apparently the U.S. Defense Information Secure Systems Agency Level Six Secret Classified Data Requirement, um, which apparently, according to this article, Microsoft is committed to achieving in Q1, and this is a certification that Amazon does have, and this is actually the big differentiator in the Jedi contract that makes it unfair to the other players because. No no one else has this but right. Amazon, uh, and apparently soon to be Azure. So it may be a consolation prize. It may be the signs of a bigger deal for Azure to come, but uh, until the government reopens, I don't think we'll get a good answer to that problem.
0: I'm not sure it's a nail in the coffin for, the, for AWS, for the Jedi contract, though. I mean, they they could have lumped both these things into one contract, but they didn't, and somebody else has won this part. So maybe maybe it was a deliberate attempt to... To split things up, I mean, on one hand they say they want a single supplier for Jedi. But on this, you know, on, on this hand they they went with uh, Microsoft. So it's
1: well, I think you are confusing Department of Defense versus the Pentagon <laughs> in this particular scenario. As complicated as our U.S. government is, so you know, this being very focused on one small aspect of this situation for the Pentagon, where the DoD Jedi contract is much more around defense infrastructure and protective. Uh, equipment and and surveillance solutions. So while they are both under the DOD umbrella, they are still somewhat separate. So it's a bit confusing, which is the unfortunate part of all government contracting is you never know who you're actually talking to. Um, But they are completely not the same thing, which is sort of weird, but all under the DOD umbrella. Amazon services are now launching with HIPAA, PCI, ISO, and SOC certifications on day one. And so this is a little bit of Amazon um, saying, hey, look at us. We're announcing all these amazing new services uh, for you guys to use, but also we're, we're launching them with all these compliance things, which are typically taken six to nine months post-GA of the product to actually get. Um, so this is Amazon saying, hey, not only are we giving you new stuff, we're actually also making it available for the highest levels of compliance and security. So you can use it today. Um, I know this is a big issue for me in a pr- past life where you know a great, fantastic new service will come out, but it's not HIPAA compliant. And so I couldn't use it because it wasn't HIPAA compliant. And then it was always, all right, Mr. Amazon, Tam, when is, my, when is this going to be HIPAA compliant? And that's several months away. And you're like, now you're sad because you're still building out uh, a cluster of something you didn't want to build out because... They don't support you
0: yet. It's interesting that the services which are or are not either HIPAA compliant or PCI compliant. I mean, the, the Route Fifty Three Resolver sounds kind of fairly innocuous. Why wouldn't that be HIPAA compliant? I mean, it's just DNS, right? It's kind of it's kind of strange. I mean, anything. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be amazed that Amazon could launch anything which which didn't um, meet I said, Nine Thousand One or Twenty Seven Thousand One. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if Amazon could ever release anything that didn't meet that because just simply managing a service at that scale in that many regions with that many employees, you'd need the documentation, and the documentation is, is basically what you need for that certification.
1: So I would actually say that if you look at the list of items that they announce with or without HIPAA, for example, or PCI, the ones that have HIPAA are all relatively new services, where the ones that don't are actually add-ons to existing services. So Route 53 Resolver, for example, is an addition to Route 53, um, and it's owned by the networking team at Amazon. The Global Accelerator is owned by the networking team as well, I assume. So both of those are actually tied to pretty legacy solutions that Amazon's had for a long time, which may be actually harder to design HIPAA or ISO or PCI compliance into day one. Whereas the stuff that does have all of it is definitely stuff that's brand new, you know, based off primitives that already had those things. And so I think it's I assume what we're seeing here is that Amazon's actually making a design decision change. We're saying, okay, look, for net new services, this is now the new barrier to launch. That you have to have these things. The legacy services have been around for more than six months or are brand new as of reInvent. Um, you know, they have maybe have a pass for a little while while they get up to speed or they get up to date, but eventually as they're as they pick up new initiatives and new roadmap items for this year, I bet they now also have this requirement. So I think it's I think it's Amazon raising the bar on their internal dev teams. And, you know, it was probably a trial for a lot of these in the first year, but now now that it worked and there's customers are happy about it, it becomes a bigger priority for them. Yeah, and
2: I could see network being the hard, one of the hardest ones to sort of reverse engineer and bolt on HIPAA compliance after the fact if you designed the core functionality years and years ago. But, I mean, yeah, this is going to, I mean, it just makes total sense to just say, this is the new standard, build your new services to meet these requirements, that's MVP. That's minimum viable product at this point.
1: It will be curious to see if you start seeing uh, some of these government uh, pop up on this list too. You know, things around FedRAMP or DoD compliance and stuff like that. Those become launch features as well and and supported in GovCloud much faster. Um, A lot of these services also don't make it to GovCloud for several years after they get launch in all the other regions. So it's definitely you can definitely tell Amazon is more interested in in winning over a lot of big enterprises, a lot of government deals, a lot of healthcare deals, and this is a priority. Yeah,
2: you'd be shocked at how many of the people who are calling us right now at foghorn to to help with stuff is all HIPAA based. HIPAA and high trust. It's incredible the percentage. Because you think, I mean, that's a relatively small segment of the economy. And it's a ridiculously high percentage of people calling us are looking for that.
0: Are they uh, new uh, new services like
2: startups and things like that? Yeah, there are a lot of new startups, a lot of SaaS companies, SaaS companies who you know are doing things. But it's not around like comply. I don't. I don't think it's around uh, electronic medical records requirements or anything. It's just people coming up with really cool new ways to um, manage and handle and and analyze and and get value out of. Uh, data, which also has to remain extremely private.
1: Yeah, I think off the, you know, Viva went public a couple of years ago now. Uh, they're the big healthcare solution built on top of Salesforce, uh, uh, Force.com platform. I think that got a lot of uh, heavy investment into healthcare innovation as well as, you know, Obamacare and some of the different initiatives that have happened in the last few years. I think healthcare is becoming a bigger deal. So you have a lot of startups in that space. And then you have a lot of fintech guys trying to get into PCI and credit card processing. And so all of these areas are becoming a, a hot area because they're areas that haven't had a lot of disruption yet because they were the barrier to entry was seen as very high um, for quite a while. And now with you know Amazon and them being you know providing these compliant services, it makes this a much easier story to sell and a much easier investment area for these startups in these really highly regulated industries. Moving on to the uh, next topic, GCP announced an, a partnership with SpotInst to basically cover running Spot instances on top of Google Compute, which I... Did not know they actually had spot instances because I'm not as into the Google ecosystem yet. Uh, But I I then learned that uh, Google actually calls these preemptible VMs, uh, which I find a hilarious name. (laughs) That was definitely clearly not workshopped by uh, the team who did spot instances, which makes a lot more sense. But uh, glad to see that spot instances expanding beyond Amazon and really getting into multi-cloud and really helping that provide. Because if you are looking for an easy way to take advantage of uh, 70% cost reduction with spot instances, spot is really a fantastic tool for that and really a, a way to simplify the whole equation without getting into a lot of work on your own
0: i find it strange it's, it's a it's a partnership rather than it just being some kind of native uh google service but you know it is what it is the thing that i think is super interesting right so there's
2: this no-brainer um uh financial incentive to figure out a way to use um spot or preemptible instances to run production or quasi-production level workloads, where you really can't afford to have an outage, um, and as companies, you know, Spot is a tool to help you do this. But you know, companies are doing a lot of this on their own as well. And the more you go down this path, um, you know, there. I mean, we've done like uh, container-based stuff for ECS on Amazon uh, with some algorithms and stuff to make it. Pretty much you know pretty much getting up to the s l a s that Amazon is just offering in general, and uh you have to imagine everybody's doing this, and if everybody does this, the spot instance pricing is a market price, so if we all get way better at doing it, the discount is gonna decrease over time to the point where at some point, if we're all perfect at it, it's gonna basically be the same price. As our reserved instance pricing, or maybe even our on-demand pricing, who knows how far it'll go? So that's I'm so I'm super curious to watch as all these tools get more um, more advanced. Uh, watch how the the spot or preemptible pricing on these clouds creeps towards the other pricing levels that aren't preemptible.
0: It's great for the cloud providers because it it encourages closer and closer to one hundred percent utilization of the hardware that they're already paying for that's sitting there in the rack. So I, I guess at some point, if if they did happen to get to one hundred percent utilization, they, they'd love it um, because right now all these all these prices that we pay now are based on you know, whatever the magic number is. I'm sure they'll never ever tell us what what percentage of their hardware is in use at one time. But um, you know, the closer they get to. To, to having the right scale deployed, the more cost-effective it will be for everybody.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was at a hosting provider for a while back in the day, and you know, from a network perspective, it was always 20% overhead, and I'm sure it's not super, super different from that. Um, and it'd be interesting to see, uh, I don't know, does it, ex- does, it, does it even accelerate the growth of data centers at that point? If they don't have that, you know, if they're selling all that, if they're effectively selling the overhead, then you would accelerate the growth of your infrastructure. So that'd be cool.
0: How does the SpotIns pricing model work? I mean, is, is it like they, they take half the savings or is it just a fixed license fee? I, I've never used them before.
1: Oh, uh, SpotIns basically charges you um, on a number of hours consumed in Spot instances. And then they they provide an abstraction layer at the EC2 level. So basically, instead of you having to worry about you know, I need to launch this instance as a spot instance or I need to launch it as an EC2, they will basically handle that for you. They handle the logic, is it cheaper to be a spot instance or is it cheaper to be an EC2? Um, they also handle, before Amazon did it, uh, they did fleets. And so you know, basically to reduce your risk of a spot market price crash or you know a spike in it that would cause your infrastructure to go down, they would basically or des- the first ones to come out with idea of a fleet model and so you would be able to provision, you know, six or seven different instance classes that would meet your need and then manage that as a fleet of compute that runs whatever your workload is and that way you kind of uh, were mitigating some of your risk of the smart market volatility. So it's, it's interesting, but it is definitely charged uh, to you by a per hour basis. Um, they are not a sponsor, but if they'd like to contact us, <laughs> like to talk to them. <laughs> 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 or, to, uh, or to correct uh, what I just said if I misspoke, but I, I believe I have that correct from my experience. So
2: by the hour would, would not be a percentage of savings, but um, based on your scale of usage. Yeah, so we'll see what happens here. I think I think that's the most interesting area because it's getting like you said when fleet came out that was immediately we had customers who are uh price conscious and heavy workloads and it's it's like hey you know with fleet across if you're running containers you're running multiple you're running clusters in multiple regions and um, you're running fleet in all regions what are the odds that you're gonna run out of all spot instances in multiple regions simultaneously so it's getting easier
1: if you can simplify the use case for using spot instances and get that 70% savings off the bill, that's it's a great win. And then you, you pay a small premium back to, to them. I think it's okay. Uh, Fleet was a bit of a Sherlock for them because I think they were the first ones to, to do it. But uh, they definitely have other technologies that really makes them interesting. So moving on to our last uh, new news for this week, uh, a trigger mesh uh, basically announced... The ability to bring Amazon Lambda serverless to Kubernetes. And so, one of the big flaws of Lambda has been that you can't run it anywhere else but on Amazon. And so, if you're multi cloud or you're trying to do these things, your only choice was then to go run it on, you know, go run Docker containers, uh, which is a slightly different use model than Lambda. Uh, and so, this basically is emulating major portions of the Lambda code base so that you can basically run native Lambda functions on Kubernetes in any data center you want to. So, on premise or in Azure or Google uh, or even in Amazon, although you already have Lambda, so I don't know why you do that, but it's possible uh, with Trigger Mesh's new Lambdas, Lambda serverless computing.
0: Now, when I read this, I was immediately transported back to Peter's prediction for 2019, which was the uh, the rise of containers over serverless. And this is kind of cheating now because this is the rise of containers enabling serverless. Yeah, really. <laughs> and it's clearly ta- it's cl- clearly targeted to uh, GCP. I'm sure people would run run this in their own data centers too. But the um, the uh, the trigger meshing is built on top of the native uh, Kubernetes middleware from Google, um, and it is. 100% Lambda compatible too, uses the Lambda custom runtime API. So this is, this is awesome for everybody. It's great to see some competition in the space. Well, Google has functions.
1: And Azure has Azure uh, functions as well, I believe.
0: Yeah, so this,
2: this announcement, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out the, you know, I mean, my Python code runs anywhere. So what is it specifically about Lambda that I want to emulate on a different cloud?
1: I think there's a couple of things. Um, if you're running your Lambda in a, you know, a Google function or in an, Amazon or an Azure function or a Lambda function, they're all slightly different. They have different rules. They have different ways they operate, different performance characteristics. And so you actually end up, why it's the same Python code, you might have to have bigger instances in Google. You might have to have smaller in Azure. And so you end up dealing with a bunch of things that you can't control. And so while you can do it and it does work just fine, it does become a bit of overhead in your testing cycle and your ability to do uh, continuous deployment is now you're doing your testing for three uh, platforms. So if you can now standardize yeah. the entire platform set to Lambda across three cloud providers, still get that cloud agnostic, agnostic uh, behavior and simplify your testing cycle, it's a much better scenario for you. And so I think that's where it really has a lot of value. I think the other piece is that if you look at the investments that is having an open source community around SAM project, um, I think that's far, far ahead of anything that Google or Azure has uh, to be able to provide really a simplified uh, build environment, deployment environment, and then ultimately um, testing environment in the SAM framework that I think now having Lambda on all these cloud providers, I now can use that same framework uh and get that benefit as well. So I think it's just it, Lambda is a much more mature product than either of the other two, and that's the benefit you're getting.
0: I think the other biggest benefit is the fact that Google Cloud only supports JavaScript for their functions. And um now we can support Python, Java, C sharp, Go, any, you know, any runtime we like.
2: Yeah, and even when they do catch up, I mean I would way rather just manage my uh my container. Infrastructure as code um, and then you know launch it to Kubernetes anywhere rather than I mean if we're doing like we're terraforming a bunch of stuff and I have to do it across multiple platforms uh, it's definitely going to be different resources yeah different uh, uh, different uh, infrastructure uh, launches in each cloud versus just same container different cluster name
0: speaking of DevOps. When I think of DevOps in the cloud, I think of Foghorn Consulting. Foghorn has been around since 2008. They've been on the forefront of cloud enablement and have delivered powerful transformations for hundreds of clients from startups to Fortune 500, including highly regulated industries. They were early visionaries and practitioners of using code to automate infrastructure and operations to drive up cloud efficiencies while driving down costs. Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, AWS... Asia, and GCP. Go to fogops.io slash the cloud pod to learn more about their fogops services and sign up for a free well-architected framework review. <laughs> Moving right along
1: to the lightning round. Peter, I'll let you take it away.
2: Awesome. All right, here we go. Um, first one, uh, AWS step functions now supports resource tagging.
1: I really, I really wish that Tagging would become an MVP requirement for all services, just like the security requirements. Because not being able to tag things is really annoying.
2: <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, you stole you stole what I was going to say. Uh, plus one, somebody is in the lead for lightning round. Okay, what what, what you're it? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it should be MVP. I don't understand why you'd build a service <laughs> right now and be like, yeah, yeah, tagging will come later. Later we'll do tagging. It's it's got to be the easiest thing to implement. Why is it not there?
0: Well, half the time, they don't even support you know, 99.9% availability at GA, so you know, tagging is probably a secondary concern.
1: Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. 99.9% availability is a big deal for the GA party.
0: And <laughs> the GA party. again,
1: it's not availability. It's degradation in service. So that's what you got to remember. But tagging is a, a no-brainer. I wish it was part of every MVP.
2: Yes. All right. AWS OpsWorks stacks now support Amazon Linux 2, Amazon Linux
0: 2018.03, and Ubuntu 18.04. You know, I was talking to somebody earlier about OpsWorks, and I was kind of hoping that they'd just let it die, but apparently not.
1: I mean, SimpleDB is still kicking around. OpsWorks <laughs> yeah. will be with us forever.
0: <laughs> I love OpsWorks. I'm
2: so excited. I can't wait for more OpsWorks.
1: How does Ruby uh, work in OpsWorks? Man.
2: Beautifully. In fact, Oh my God. We've had so many. uh, They used to have back before, and this is totally end of life now, but um, I don't know if it was Chef 11 or Chef. I think it was Chef 11 um, where uh, they had the pre-built deploy scripts for Ruby on Rails apps. So you got to just, it was almost like Heroku. You just launch launch your stack and you launch your app and you have your deploy pipeline up and running on day one. It was wonderful. We're all missing out. It went away, and we and the world is worse off for
0: it. So, like beanstalk for Ruby.
2: Yes. Oh, and beanstalk also it also supports Ruby, by the way. Ruby on Rails. You guys are missing the boat. I'm telling you, it's the best.
1: Oh, no, I, I like Ruby. I I have no problem there.
0: <laughs> now I started using OpsWorks way too early in its lifecycle, and it was just so constraining. It was just a, uh, it was just a nightmare.
1: When I did my DevOps certification, I I spent some time with it again uh for the first time in a couple of years at that point. And it's still very constraining. Um I'm not sure that I would want to build my app platform in it with especially when I have Terraform and all these other amazing technologies that I'd like better. Um but I, I think it has a it scratches an itch for certain people and I think it it's an enabler for teams that use a lot of chef, and I think it has value, but um it's not for me.
2: We'll see where it goes. All right. AWS Database Migration Service now supports Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility as a target.
1: So this made it to release day announcement, but tagging didn't?
2: Jonathan, you're way
0: behind, by the way. You're way behind in lightning around. Come on. Give me something. I mean, that was fast, right? Support for this out of, out of the... Uh... Out of the gate was pretty fast. I'm sure they're talking in the hallways, making
2: sure it happens on time. Although, why not also as a source? That's what I want to know. All right. Uh, next, uh, Amazon EC2 Spot now provides results for the Describe Spot Instance Request command in, in multiple pages. So they've paginated
0: the response. It's unusual that Amazon breaks some functionality like this, but uh, you know, good on them for implementing something that they have in every other API.
1: So this is another MVP candidate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe nobody ever used Spot to the scale that they, they needed to, um, to page to thousands of results before. Well, that's the key, right, is that it's like this is a feature
2: because people are starting to use Spot at scale, which means yeah. Yeah. Spot pricing is going up.
0: yeah one of these days we'll have the the easy to spot weather reports or something oh my
2: god that'd be great (laughs) forecasting a futures market yeah i'm gonna do a futures market for spot (laughs) all right next iot core now enables customers to store messages
0: for offline devices it's kind of weird. I mean, I, we, um, I th- thought this was already a feature, but we, we talked earlier about this and it turns out there was only a state that got stored when the device was disconnected. But again, this is one of these things like, why wouldn't this have been included in a uh, in the original release? Like being disconnected from the network is one of the things that IoT is built for. So I don't know.
1: feels like something you could have solved with Kinesis or Kafka or SQS or any other message bus solutions that Amazon supports and, and offers.
0: Yeah, it's like a lazy way out. I mean, you store the last the last update ID which you received, and then you check and say, "Hey, is a new one? Yes or no?" So you
2: think Kinesis isn't under the covers of this?
1: I mean, it might I mean, be, but it doesn't say so.
2: It doesn't, but I mean, it's like this is this is classic. Um, make it easy, just slowly make it easier. So, yeah, we used
0: to have to use the primitives; now they're included. Is there a, I didn't read the announcement. Is there a time limit on the, uh, the messages?
1: Oh, there you go. Not doing yeah, I think it. it, says, not doing I, think it says,
0: I think it says, please see the Kinesis documentation. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably not Kinesis. It's probably an S3 bucket. they probably just drop objects Maybe. in there.
2: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe it's SQS. Cool. Okay, next. Um, Azure announces the GA general availability of Azure Data Box. Disk. It sounds like a
0: bad translation from a from a foreign language. <laughs>
2: it, this
1: name, man, I we give Amazon a bad time about their naming of some things, but this is horrible. I all I can think about is that SNL skit with uh, you know Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Just, that's all I can think about. in This, uh, you know, but in addition to this, um, they also announced that Azure Data Blob Box Disk is now in preview. So. If you wanted this thing that they sent to your data center with a weird name to have a other even weirder name, you can add blob to it.
0: Step until they have a whole truck. I'm not gonna be impressed. Step one:
1: <laughs> the Azure data blob truck. Next up <laughs> from Azure.
0: You, step
2: one: cut a hole in the box.
1: Step two: <laughs> that's, that's exactly the song that I was put thinking. Your of. your data when I in to the it. box. <laughs> step should three: should they have just called it? The should box. they have
2: just call it? snowman as your snowman i don't know
1: oh, that'd be awesome that'd be such a troll yeah. i wish they would <laughs> that would be be an even better name
0: you know what i find really strange about this announcement is that they actually specify which regions it's available and i'm like if you can put it in a in a box and mail it somewhere why why isn't it available everywhere
1: but if it's not available in all regions how is that generally available like I, I wonder about the definitions of ga for azure yeah all right, Peter, who's the winner of the lightning round today?
2: You know what? Um, as objective as I try to be, I'm going to have to give it to myself. I think I was pretty damn good. I think, I think I'm giving it to Peter.
1: Wow. So now we're tied <laughs> We're tied one, one one at this point. Is this what's happened?
2: That's what's happened. Next week is a big
0: week.
1: <sighs> it's a big week. We'll have to see what we come up with. All right. Moving right along to Jonathan's cool tools for the week.
0: Excellent. I did the homework this time. Nice.
1: Did you? Like, it's, uh, they, I don't
0: know. <laughs> I, I kind of take the Java approach into like the just in time thing.
1: <laughs> I feel like you're very agile in this methodology. Um, it's very much like a product manager gives you a lot of stories to choose from, and then you sort of pick the story you want to work on, and then you sort of deliver it. I, I get it.
0: Yeah, it's very although, although I said just in time but maybe just in time should be the, the name of your spot in the show.
2: <laughs> oh, that's brilliant.
0: <who> <laughs> if that was part of the lightning round, you totally would have won.
2: <laughs> All right, Justin, so oh, uh, that is so perfect.
1: <laughs> my uh, my parents actually almost made my middle name tough. which would have been awesome. And I they told me this story when I was like 13 or 14, I was like, "What did you do?" Like that would have been amazing. that would have been awesome. <laughs> The missed opportunities. Oh, yes. All right, Jonathan. Let's talk about tools.
0: Okay, so this week we have uh, EC two types dot which is uh, an index of all the AWS EC two types. Strangely enough, uh, you can search them by any kind of configuration criteria: processes, memory, vCPU's, uh, network throughput, and storage. And uh, you, you can uh, have it help you choose based on any of those criteria or based on cost. And uh, they're factored in both on-demand and reserve pricing, which is pretty cool. It's always a chore to uh, to go through the, the Amazon documentation to find out exactly which instances are available where and cost what. So this is a really good helper.
1: I've always been a fan of um, easy2instances.info personally. But um, I do like the format of this where I can compare them next to each other, which is – one of the things lacking in uh, easy two instances. Info. So uh, it's definitely a nice tool. I like this one as well. Um, I, it's, shout out to uh, Prasad here, who uh, two weeks in a row has a cool tool in Jonathan's uh, segment here. So that's good job on him. Maybe, maybe go for a three-peat and see what happens. Maybe he has a third tool. He really-
2: this, this used to be much easier to do in your brain. And now that the, the instance types have expanded so much and so many of them are so specialized that... Uh, I, I literally feel like now I need a tool like this. Super cool.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for a specific uh, CPU as well, it's pretty nice to, to have all those indexed yeah. separately. Where that's not as transparent as yeah. as it could be on the on, on Amazon's own pages.
1: It'd be nice if someone uh, would do this for all the cloud providers, so I can compare what you know a large instance is between Azure, Google, and Amazon, because that is starting to get confusing now as well. For sure. Speaking of AWS, stay up to date with the latest AWS news every Monday morning with the Last Week in AWS newsletter. Corey Quinn gathers the news from AWS, strips out the stuff that nobody cares about, and makes fun of what's left. Subscribe today at lastweekinaws.com. Snark delivered to your inbox. Less fog, more cloud.
0: Okay, the second tool of the week is Git Commander, or Git Commander Explorer. Uh, as the case may be, this is uh, a really pretty website, which helps you find the right Git commands based on what you want to do. It is one of those things that Git commands
2: are one of my most r- frequent Google searches. So it's it, there's a need for this. <laughs>
0: it's it's also really dangerous ones too right it's like oh i need to i need to reset the head but keep these two critical files and i forgot to copy them somewhere and please just give me this magic command that'll fix it all for me and not lose my work and then you just blindly you blindly copy and paste it and hope for the best and yep there it goes Please remove french from my (laughs) system yeah it's a no it's it's a super nice website super nice tool definitely going to be useful for learning because because get as as easy as it is, once you get in the swing of things, is pretty complex when um, when you want to do things that out of the ordinary.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely times where I need to do a, like a git squash, and I don't remember the syntax, and I do typically Google them, so it definitely gonna be in my bookmarks as something I'll go to occasionally when I I can't remember how to uh, do such things, um, or like you said, you know, do a git reset of some sort. But um, it is nice that he, you know, even in some of these, he does have a note with most of them and tells you, you know, hey, they're you potentially could cause damage <laughs> so be careful with some of these commands which is good um but i agree the documentation also is very effective but you know anything to make development
0: easier for people who are new to these things i think is a win yeah our absolute best best feature on the site though is it has a light mode and dark mode <laughs> switch i love i love dark mode the the extra half percent of battery i gain from this is uh, it's going to save my life one day yeah i definitely
2: think that um it would be i, I... I don't think it is complete. I mean, it's obviously not comprehensive. So be good to to see more uh, more of Git included. Oh, I just went to dark mode. I just went there. I like it.
0: Whoa,
2: the dark side.
1: Well, that's the show for this week. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn, The Last Week in AWS, and Audubon.